Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, listeners. It is Advent. Yes. Believey or no believey. Where did I get that expression? <laughs> From a friend of my mom. <laughs> <laughs> What is that story, believe you or no believe you? It was just a sweet way that a, a woman she knew spoke a little bit broken English and meant to say, believe it or not, but she said, believe you or, or no believe you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is Advent. And I'm an etymology guy. I love words. I love where words come from. You learn a lot about language and meaning by looking up the etymology of words. So I just looked up the etymology of the word advent mm -hmm. comes from, La I've learned this before, but you know, you don't retain everything when you're as old as I am. <laughs> uh, ad venire is the Latin, A-D-V-E-N-I-R-E, -E, two words, which translated mean to come. Mm -hmm. So advent is the time of waiting for Christ to come. Mm -hmm. And we are waiting in Advent, not only for his first coming, which we will celebrate in Christmas. Yes. Advent is also a time of yearning for the second coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I love this little insight into scripture. I think I got this from Mikhail Waldstein, a grand scholar on the thought of T.O.B., John Paul's teaching, and a friend of mine. Um, I think I got it from an article of his where he said, the first human words spoken in the Bible are the longing of the bridegroom for the bride. At last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The first human words recorded in the scripture. The final human words recorded in the scripture are the longing of the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. The wow. spirit and the bride say, come, come Lord Jesus. That's the longing of the church in Advent. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. And you can, you can feel that uh, the longing. I, I'm thinking here of the Song of Songs, where the bride is in the marriage bed. She has taken off her robe. She is longing for union. And the bridegroom approaches. And then you're like, what the heck has happened? The bridegroom leaves. Right as the bride is desiring the, the consummation, the bridegroom leaves. And, and I think this is kind of just dawning on me right now as I'm saying it. I think contained right there in that scene, which has puzzled many uh, throughout the centuries, but the saints always talk about a deeper meaning of it, being that the Lord leaves, the bridegroom leaves, to stretch the yearning of the bride. We are made for an infinite union, and our hearts are too small for the union we're made for, and our hearts have to be stretched. And the, the Lord's leaving, it's not really leaving, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but it's, it feels like he's left. Mm -hmm. uh, that stretches the heart. But it seems to me, right in that scene in the Song of Songs, where the bridegroom approaches, and the bride is ready for union, and she goes to the bed for union, the bridegroom approaches and then he leaves. I think that's a sign or a kind of typology or prophecy of the first coming of Christ, 
where he approaches, but then his departure is his ascent into heaven. Yeah. And the bride is now waiting for his second coming. That's that's Advent. That's that's the longing of the bride for the the coming of the bridegroom. I love that. It's a little TOB lesson right there, yeah. just in the words uh, or the word Advent. That's and really and Christ himself says, remember in the New Testament, he says, uh, my disciples do not fast because the bridegroom is with them, but there will come a time when the bridegroom leaves, mm -hmm. and then they will fast. Mm. But the bridegroom will come back. And this is all, sorry, I'm on a tangent here. The <laughs> Last Supper, when Jesus says, uh, I, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? First, he offers them the 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 new wine of the covenant, right? He says, this is my blood in the, in the new covenant. And, and the, the Jews who would have heard that understood that this is how marriage is proposed. There is a, a cup of wine that if, if the proposal was received, the bride-to-be would take the wine and drink it. Mm. And that drinking of the wine let the bridegroom know that she said yes, and then he would say, I, I will now go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. That's exactly what Jesus says. Yeah. He gives them the wine of the new covenant, his blood, and then he says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Hello, hello. It's all nuptials. So I love it. enter into the nuptials of Advent. Be not afraid. Do you have anything to and share with us about TB Institute? Right I now? do. We are starting 2023 with my second favorite course to teach. We're starting Advent with an online version of my favorite course to teach. It might not be too late to get in that, uh, depending on when you're listening to this episode. We're starting Advent with my Mary course online. Love it, love it, love it. My second favorite course, I will be teaching live the first week of January here in Pennsylvania. It's called Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization. TOB1 is a prerequisite for this course. Because you need to have the TOB understanding to come into this course, because what we're going to be doing is we're going through the catechism, the four pillars of the catechism, with the theology of the body lenses. And here I'll quote Mikhail Waldstein yet again. He says, the theology of the body is the John Pauline lens for reading the catechism. And I love it when those four pillars of the catechism, what are the four pillars of the catechism? They are the creed, sacraments, the moral life, and the life of prayer. I love when those four pillars of the catechism come alive. The whole faith comes alive. Like, I think I've used that image before in the podcast of the Jiffy Pop. You know, you put the little kernels on the stove and you shake it up and they get hot and they pop. Seeing the seeds of faith pop in my students is just thrilling. So anyway, hope you can make it to Pennsylvania first week of January for 2B3. And I'll just say, I hope so, too. I am not taking the course, but I will be stopping in uh, for mealtimes and look forward to meeting any students who do come. If you come and you're a podcast listener, please let us know. We love to meet our listeners. We do. Um, I have a question from a patron. Very good. This is from Matthew. Hello, Matthew. I'm from the Philippines, and I have a podcast called The Chased Heart Podcast. Ooh dedicated to spreading the message of chastity and exposing the different things that bind our potential to pursue real love. 
The theology of the body is a significant part of the message that my podcast is proclaiming to the world, in particular to my fellow Filipinos. Any practical advice as to how to spread the message of TOB through the mass media? Well, thanks, Matthew. I appreciate the question. Um, you know, I, I've always felt behind the curve with the way messages get out in our world today. Yeah. When I started doing this work, the way you got a message out was cassette tapes, VHS tapes, and books. That was that was the media. That, or maybe a newspaper column. Yeah, newspaper column. I had a column for mm -hmm. a long time radio, running in Catholic newspapers. Radio interviews. Radio interviews, that's true. And Catholic TV. I was on EWTN mm -hmm. quite a bit back in the day. Um, that's the world I started out in, and that's the world I grew up with, and that's the world I was familiar with. When things started, I mean, then we went to CDs and DVDs, and that was kind of similar. Yeah. Um, but when things started going all online with social media and YouTube and podcasts, and we've only been doing this podcast for four years, mm -hmm. and podcasts have been along, around for a long, long time. Yeah. That just shows how behind the curve I was. So, Matthew, you know what? I, I would rather have you talk to my director of marketing, <laughs> who's a young guy uh, in his late 20s. Maybe he just turned 30. Uh, he was raised in this world, and I just rely on him. <laughs> he, I, don't, I don't have Facebook. I, I mean, we have an official Christopher West official Facebook page, but I don't know how to run it. I don't post anything. I don't know how it works. Instagram, I don't know how it works. Uh, <laughs> That's so honest. <laughs> TikTok, no, no, flip no. flop. I don't. What We're the not TikToking. I don't have anything on TikTok. I just, I just met some guy at, at my event last week in Nashville who is urging me, urging me to get on TikTok. He's a, he's a Catholic doctor who integrates like ac acupuncture into his uh -huh. medical practice, and he said he has like four hundred thousand followers on TikTok. I'm like, well, maybe I do need to get on TikTok, but I wouldn't know the first thing of what to do. I just have to rely on my marketing people. So, Matthew, I'm sorry. I don't know that I can say much uh, in terms of, of using mass media but I, I or the social media and the, the way messages get out today. But I can tell you this. People follow people whose hearts are on fire. People follow people whose hearts are alive. People follow people who believe what they're saying with all their heart. And in order to, to live in that way, to be one with a heart on fire, one has to be a person of deep prayer. So I would invite you into a deeper life of prayer. That, that, that will set you more on fire. That will have your convictions grow. That will have your heart become more and more purified. Uh, there is no evangelization, here I'm quoting from uh, Pope Benedict XVI. He says, evangelization, evangelization is a new birth, and there is no evangelization without labor pains. I've been doing this work for, love it, next year, in 2023. It will be 30 years since I discovered oh, John Paul's Theology awesome. of the Body. Yeah. I've been doing this for almost 30 years. Yeah. And... There's been, there's been a lot of travail in this work, but those are the labor pains that come with, the, with new birth. 
I have also been doing it long enough that I've got to, if I can go along with this analogy, I've got to, I've had the experience of, of holding the offspring of those labor pains. Um, people who, who will approach me, sometimes even in an airport, they'll recognize me and say, hey, I, I was at a seminar you gave 25 years ago, and here's the fruit it's born in my life. That's so rewarding. Uh, why am I telling a story? I don't even know. What what was the question? <laughs> it was about, it was, a, read the question one more time, sorry. Or just tell me what it was. No, Please I'm going to just talk. You're just gonna, yeah. It was something about how do you get the message out. Yeah. You, the only way to get the message, the means by which you get the message out, that's all helpful and important. And if you don't know how to do it, like like me, find somebody who can help you. Yeah. But the message itself will spread in as much as you're alive and on fire. Yeah. With it. And I was going to say something more about that. Yeah, go ahead, Wendy. Which just was that we have so much um, digital content or ways of. Support sort of being in touch with people through the internet, that it's important not only to have that, but to have face-to-face -face contact Absolutely. with human beings. Absolutely. What you have to say is so formed by those honest conversations with real people. So the message itself, you know, gets deepened and the insights that the Lord gives you to share are so dependent on actually talking with other people. So yeah. I just want to encourage you to not neglect your face-to-face -face opportunities. Well said. The message we are proclaiming is the message of the incarnation. And there's something about the new media, social media, that are disincarnate. And it can, it can plant seeds. There's no doubt about it. These are tools that we can use and should use to spread the gospel. Absolutely. But in the end, the gospel reaches heart. It reaches hearts primarily through the sacraments. And sacraments are not something that can happen uh, via social media. It, it demands an in-person bodily encounter. Mm -hmm. and, and so, too, do our evangelization efforts. Really, in the end, they should lead to that bodily encounter. Mm -hmm. Our next question is from a listener named Emily. Hello, Emily. Is there any eternal merit or divine purpose in seeking an annulment for its own sake without the earthly hope of remarriage? The best way I can describe the pain and grief of divorce was as if my skin had been torn from my body. Mercy. I sometimes get asked whether I plan to seek an annulment, and several faithful Catholics have indicated my marriage would be, quote, easily annulled, or have said things like, God might have a wonderful man in mind for you. Though I have healed a great deal over the last few years, I still feel very scarred from my divorce. I cannot feel hopeful of remarrying, and I find myself thinking, What's the point? Mm. I'm prepared to live out my life feeling as I do now, like a married woman without a husband. But I would also love to feel comfortable in my own skin again. Mm. Can annulments help heal wounds of a painful marriage and divorce? Emily, I, I just hear the beautiful cry of your heart in the way you, you worded this question. And I just, I want to, before I say anything and jump into an answer, I, I just want to reverence 
your sorrow, your pain, your grief. What a visceral but fitting image that you have felt like your skin has been torn from your flesh. Uh, was that the expression or flesh mm. from bones or skin from skin from my body she skin said. from my body yeah. mercy 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 it is it is that agonizing uh, the two become one flesh and the the divorce of the two who have become one flesh is a ripping of the flesh the one flesh you have become so i i just want to affirm that you are you are appropriately feeling the gravity of the rupture. And that is a sacred place to be. You are, you are feeling in your own sorrows, in your own sufferings, you are feeling the very sorrows and sufferings of Christ, your true bridegroom. And, and isn't that interesting? In, in the divorce, in the pain of divorce, that you can be more deeply united with your true bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He does not uh, forsake you there. He has descended into that hell, which is your specific su suffering and sorrow. Uh, that's why we, we really need to learn just the, the reverencing of people's suffering, because it's, it's a place of encounter with Jesus himself. That said, I, I would like to invite you to consider and take this to prayer. It may or may not be the right path for you. I, I don't know specifically, but I do have some pastoral experience of, of working with couples who have been through the annulment process. When I was the director of the marriage and family office in the Archdiocese of Denver uh, many years ago, I, I had a relationship, my office had a relationship with the tribunal, and, and I would learn of certain cases and walk with certain couples. And I, I can say I have seen and heard from couples who have told me that going through the process of the annulment, whether they intended to remarry, and let's use our language properly here, right? I, I, it can be tricky to use language properly. Remarry is not the proper expression, because if a declaration of nullity is granted, it's, it's a recognition that despite appearances, you were never actually married, right? You were married in the eyes of the state, but you were not married in the eyes of the church. And so there was not a, a real marriage. There was a real marriage in as much as there are legal implications, etc., uh, at the civil level, but at the level of the sacrament. There was no sacrament there. And if it wasn't a valid sacrament, it wasn't a valid marriage in the eyes of the church. So the proper language would be the declaration of nullity would not allow you to remarry, but it would mean you would be free to marry for the first time. That would be the proper way to express it. And those who have been through that process, whether they have intended to seek freedom to marry validly for the first time or not, the journey itself, they have found a healing one. And it can be a, a place of validation, that's the word I was looking for, a place of validation from the church herself 
that the pain that you have experienced has a reason. Uh, there was not a, a true marriage there. That can that itself to have that validation from the church that something was off from the start. Whether again you intend to pursue marriage with someone else, I would say that wouldn't that shouldn't necessarily be the determining factor of whether you desire to go through the process of seeking a declaration of nullity. And I might compare it, it's not a great comparison, but I think there are some similarities here. I might compare it to this. I know men who whose wives have died, and they had a vasectomy, say, 20 years ago, when they were living an active married life, and they didn't want any more children, and they didn't understand the church's teaching, and they got a vasectomy. Well, the wife is dead. They have no per plan of remarrying anyone. And they've asked me, should I still get my vasectomy reversed? Because I've come to my senses. I've seen the wrong that I've done. It doesn't really have a direct bearing in my life right now, does it? Should I get a vasectomy reversal? And I always say, if, it's, if you're not a high-risk medical patient, yes, you should. Why? Even if you don't intend to get married again, there is a restoration of your own integrity here. That is, that is important for yourself. Uh, you have mutilated your body by getting that vasectomy. You've, you've treated a healthy functioning part of your body as something to excise. You've mutilated yourself, and if you can restore that, you should for your own bodily integrity. I might draw a comparison here, and I do think there is some comparison, that to, to seek that declaration of nullity may be helpful for your own sense of your own well-being and integrity. I, I hold that out. I can't read your heart here, Emily, uh, but I hold that out for your own prayerful consideration. Wendy, what are your thoughts? I can't help but think of um, a friend of ours who has a ministry particularly for divorced people. Um, her name is Rose Sweet. And she has a beautiful understanding of the annulment process, but even more so, more importantly, the healing yes, process yes. Um, that is needed when um, one has experienced the terrible pain of divorce. So I want to mention her as someone that we know and trust. If you would want to look up her ministry, I know that she does a kind of coaching and also has um, maybe materials that are helpful to um, make use of as part of your healing process, part of the decision about this very thing you're asking about, but your process in general, of which you know, as you mentioned, is already well underway. Um, and Emily, I just want you to know that I cannot read such a question without feeling just a great um, deal of compassion for you as a woman made from love, made for love, to be loved. We are all that. Um, and to see one of us um, just suffering so much from this lack of love, from this terribly painful rupture is so um, just 
hard to hear about, and I, I thank you for your courage in sharing it. I'm sure there it can be a hard thing even to talk about. So thank you for what you've shared with us. I'm lifting you up to the Lord in my heart, Emily, that the process you have already um, taken yourself through with the Lord in healing so far, that it would continue, that it would bear fruit beyond your own life in other people's lives as the Lord allows. And I also want to lift up your ex-husband and whatever the Lord wants to do in his life, that he would be open to the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I, yes. I just sense like a, a flask of oil being mm. poured out on Emily's heart mm -hmm. and getting massaged into those wounded places. Yeah. Come Lord Jesus, come, come reattach Emily's skin. Mm-hmm where those that raw flesh is exposed, please, yeah. please bring that healing, Lord. Please bring that healing. Bless you, Emily. You are in our hearts, and we love you. And I, I just want to say my own thoughts about Rose Sweet. She really, what a great name. She really is a sweet rose. Mm. And she's been through very difficult things in her own life. She's been through the annulment process herself. And she, she is a She's an excellent, excellent person to turn to for help in this regard. And her website is very easy to remember, rosesweet.com. Just like it sounds, spelled just like it sounds, rosesweet.com. Uh, she's been a dear friend of Wendy's and mine for a number of years, and she's also a student of the TOB Institute. She's very well-versed in John Paul's teaching. She's very... Uh, faithful to the church's teaching, and she can guide you through this process. I think you will find her counsel and her help of, of great benefit to, your, to you, Emily. So check her out. We'll put her website also in the show notes so you can just click over to it. Hmm. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. And by the way, you, you mentioned something about uh, in the TOB and the New Evangelization, you mentioned something about the TOB lens. Yes. So I I thought that was interesting because I knew this question oh, was coming. Very good. The questioner says, in a TOB lens world, does the word sexy have any or a certain meaning? What does this word mean to you? Can you still be attracted to sexiness or desire a sexy component of your attraction to someone? I'm getting a sense that sexiness is something I'm encouraged to look past, to gaze upon the entire complete person who is unique and unrepeatable. That's a great question, and I'm, I'm happy to offer some thoughts. Um, language is tricky because words can mean different things or have different shades of meaning for different people. Uh, and... Let's, let's just go with, with kind of the, the general sense in which the culture uses the word sexy. And if we're going to go that direction, there are all kinds of nuances here. It might land differently for different hearts. But if we go with just the general sense in which the culture uses the word sexy, that word is in need of redemption. Because that word is basically a, a, a way of looking at a person oh, she's sexy, or look how sexy he is. That word, and I'm going to add here, 
not necessarily. I think we can redeem this word, although it would take a lot of work. But generally speaking, the way the culture uses the word, he's sexy, she's sexy, means that person excites my disordered sexual appetite. And I want to foster that. I want to keep looking at that sexy person. I want to keep another word that would be closely related is like, she's hot. Mm -hmm. or he's hot, right? What does the culture mean by that? It basically means, yeah, you are an object for my concupiscence. And we're not making the distinctions between erotic attraction, as God created it to be, and the disordered expression of that attraction, which has come into the world because of original sin, which we call, the fancy word, would be concupiscence, which means the disordering of the passions, right? So John Paul II, I'm going to quote here from John Paul II from the TOB, and I'm going to say the same thing that he is saying here, we need to apply to the way we would use or maybe not use the word sexy, right? He says that we have to come to learn the true meaning of the sexual difference. We have to come to learn the true meaning of sexuality. And he says, this is a science that cannot be learned only from books because it's something that happens deep in the heart of the human person. Deep in the heart, he says, we come to learn the difference between that original attraction that is God-given and God-ordained that leads us to uphold the full dignity of the person on the one hand and we come to learn the difference between that and that disordered attraction that comes from original sin that leads us to treat the other person as just an object for our own pleasure. And then he goes on to say, it's true that those differences, those distinctions can sometimes be confused in the human heart. But he goes on to say, Christ has called us to a mature level of distinguishing these different movements of our hearts, one in the direction of treating the person as an object, the other in the direction of seeing the full dignity of the person as a man or woman made in the image and likeness of God. And then John Paul concludes that passage by saying, this task of discerning the difference can be carried out by God's grace, and it is really worthy of the human person. Now, the way the word uses, the way the culture uses the word sexy is almost entirely grafted to that disordered way of seeing the person. Can it be redeemed? Yeah, it can be, but it would take a lot of work. I'll, I'll give an example. Like, Wendy, you'll remember this. We were dating, and we were pretty close to getting engaged. Like, we were really serious. Mm -hmm. We were pretty sure we were going to be husband and wife. And your femininity, your beautiful humanity was becoming very evident to me in new ways. Like my eyes were getting opened and I was experiencing a, a deeper integration of the beauty of your whole feminine person, body and soul. And something I want to underscore here is seeing the person does not mean, <laughs> does not mean jumping to the spiritual and avoiding or skipping the physical. Because the person is not a spiritual being trapped in a body. The human person is an incarnate being. 
the human person is the unity of body and soul. And I was experiencing this in our relationship in a deep and beautiful, powerful, potent way. And you'll remember this. We were driving back. You had just met my parents this weekend for the first time. Yeah. And and we knew we were going to be husband and wife. It's just a matter of time. And we were overflowing with joy and exuberance in our, our love for one another. And I looked at you over in the car sitting next to me as we were driving down the highway. And I knew you would know what I meant by it mm -hmm. when I said, Wendy, you are so hot. Yeah. <laughs> and that came, that word came from an integrated place in my heart. You knew it and I knew it. Mm -hmm. It was just the two of us using that expression. We knew what we meant. There wasn't yeah. a chance it was going to be misunderstood. And I know you received it as a, yeah, as I intended it, not just I want your body and you stir my concupiscence, but it was coming from an integrated place in me and you felt it and right, and you knew that. Could the same thing happen with the word sexy? Sure. Uh, is it going to happen with the whole culture? Uh, not until the redemption of the whole world at the end of time, um, not until the resurrection of the body. But yeah, in our own private lives, we can redeem these words. And we can even invite people in certain contexts, like I, I try to invite my students all the time. They know the context in which I'm teaching. They know the, the meaning of the words that I'm using. And I make very, very diligent efforts to make sure they know the meaning of the mm -hmm. words I'm using. In, in, in certain contexts, we can reclaim these words and use them in, in, in an appropriate way. Uh, let's not give all the good words to the devil. Right. Uh, let's let's in as much as we're able, let's reclaim the language. I think it's possible. It's difficult. It's a long journey. There's all kinds of room for misunderstanding here. But I think in light of of the stories I've told and all that I just said, I think my point has been made. I was really struck by the um, the final sentence of this question. I'll just read it again. Um, this person says, I'm getting a sense that sexiness is something I'm encouraged to look past, to gaze upon the entire complete person who's unique and unrepeatable. And I, I feel like that sentence shows a person on a journey, kind of that um, expression you often use, come and become one who sees. Yeah. You're talking about really seeing the person. And one of the things that's striking me is that um, you we are exposed to, quote, sexy images a lot, um, especially in advertising and um, magazine covers and uh, movies and shows there's and a TikTok and instagram yeah. and facebook and right. youtube and there's, everything else there's an emphasis on the the face of something should be or the the image that we associate with a product or a company should be quote sexy right, right. and that is not by mistake that is because marketers know that um our attraction to the potential pleasure that, you know, we could imagine having with a particular person kind of puts us in a mode of wanting to spend our money or mm -hmm, spend our time mm -hmm, or that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So all of that, um, that we're exposed to part of the journey of learning like how awesome our bodies are, how awesome God's plan is for man and woman 
it causes us to notice that and ask ourselves, am I even seeing a person right, here? You right. know, am I just seeing pleasing images that I don't even care that it's a real human being? Yeah. And so I feel like maybe part of what this questioner is revealing is a certain awareness. Like, I think I have not really looked at the human beings mm. you know i've seen that person is sexy and that's all that i need to know because that's all i'm supposed to know because that's why that image is being presented right. to right. me so that's a beautiful step on the journey yeah, it's it deep and i hope that in saying sexiness is something i'm encouraged to look past doesn't come from a place of sort of a wistful sort of, oh, I wish I could still enjoy looking at sexiness or something, but but that it could be actually a part of like, whoa, you're growing some new muscles. You're experiencing new power in your humanity to recognize the gift of other human beings. Um, so, you know, I just was really struck by that um, especially the thought of seeing the the unique, unrepeatable person. Um, and yes, when you said that to me in, in the car drive, I think part of what was awesome about that experience for us was that we already knew from our conversations with one another that probably I'd not been called that before. <laughs> if anybody knows me, wouldn't think, oh yeah, people called Wendy hot all the time. <laughs> and, um, so that there was something of a certain, I know you and I care about you. And I'm actually so attracted to you that I'm the one who's going to say yes, it to you. Yes, yes. And I know it's not going to come from a place of comparing you to others in a wrong way. It's going to come from a place of delighting you in a delighting in you in a right way. And that was you know, kind of made us happy and laugh yeah. at the yeah, same time. it was time. a playful moment. It was. So I think that that's um, part of the joy of maybe experiencing a word redeemed yeah. is that the word sexy, if it means it attracts me in a way that's like calling forth my goodness in response to your goodness, well, then that's beautiful. and. The word comes from the fact that God made us two sexes. Two sexes, right. You know, so that's also, certainly it has the potential to be a beautiful thing. Um, and I, I appreciate your saying it can be redeemed and there's not one certain meaning, but um, that uh, we're on this journey and it's a good journey. It's a really deep and real. You know what I think right now, Wendy? I think you're really sexy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you are in the full integrated sense of the word. Too sexy for this podcast. <laughs> I'm too sexy for it. <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a joy to to use the to use the word rightly, right? To reclaim the word is to recognize that you are a beautiful expression of your sex, of your femaleness. Mm -hmm. Right? You are sexy, sexy, right? So word, the world takes that word and twists it and distorts it into something pornographic. And we certainly don't want to go down that path. But I think this guy 
just as you said, Wendy, he's made a beautiful step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And keep going, brother. Mm -hmm. the, the, the vision of the unrepeatable mystery of the person, body and soul, is far more glorious, far more attractive, far more appealing, far more beautiful than any disintegrated rupture of, of sexiness that separates the body from the soul and zooms in on certain body parts or certain features because they titillate me. Uh, John Paul II says, the joy that we, he says, the, the pleasure that we experience from lusting is one thing, but the joy we experience from coming to love the whole person, body, and soul is another thing, another thing altogether. And how tragic that so few, few people experience that joy. Uh, but there's a price to pay also to be reintegrated. It's the price of death and resurrection. And sin always says, you can have the pleasure you want without the cross. Go ahead, just take the pleasure you want. You don't need to go through the cross to get to it. Whenever our happiness is being held out to us, apart from the cross, we know where it's coming from. That's coming from the enemy. The true joy, and I'm, t and I'm talking about the deep stuff here, um, the true joy, the true joy of life comes by embracing the cross. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Mm. That joy is real. That joy is worth every suffering we have to go through to get to it. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the way to the true happiness we yearn for. And thank you, everybody, for the questions that you submit. Uh, keep them coming. Yes. Patrons, don't forget, you can submit your question on your patron website. And you'll have a better chance of us actually getting to your questions. Uh, if you've been blessed by the episode today, please share this with friends and family to help us widen our audience. We'd be grateful. Till next time, may you know it, that you, you're made in the image of God. Did you know that? You are made in the image and likeness of God as a man or a woman. And that means you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.